we need to talk about the rule of law. A podcast by Verfassungsblock and Deutscher Anwaltsverein. Welcome to the first episode of the second season of Verfassungsblocks and the German Bar Association's joint podcast. We need to talk about the rule of law in which we will focus on the defense of the defenders. Attorneys are under pressure in many countries right now. They face governmental takeovers of bar associations, arbitrary disbarments, detention or even physical violence wherever there is a crackdown on the rule of law. But it is not only attacks on them that make it harder for attorneys to perform their vital tasks in any rule-based legal system. Attorneys' work is directly impacted by attacks on judges and prosecutors and changes of procedural codes as well. In conversations with attorneys and human rights lawyers and activists from a number of countries, ranging from Belarus to Afghanistan, the podcast will explore the grave challenges and threats attorneys face and what that means for the rule of law. Another emphasis will be on what can and needs to be done to defend the defenders. My name is Leonard Kopert and I'm hosting this season of our podcast. For today's episode, I have been talking to Mikowaj Pietschak. He is an attorney and the dean of the Warsaw Bar Association, which is the oldest professional legal association in Poland and the administrative association of attorneys in Warsaw. That places him right in the middle of the rule of law crackdown that has been going on in Poland under the ruling peace party since 2015. In our conversation, he shows us how such a crackdown looks like in a country of the European Union, including some surprising insights into the immense range of consequences it had throughout the legal profession. At the end of our conversation, we will hear from Mikowai what we need to do to defend the defenders and, ultimately, the rule of law in the European Union at large, even though he says there is not an easy fix. Miko Wai, thank you so much for talking to me. Could you paint us a picture? What is it like to be an attorney in Poland today? Well, they say that interesting times for lawyers are terrible times for citizens. And I think there's a truth to that. We, over the past seven years, have faced um, situations, legal situations, constitutional situations, problems with human rights and fundamental freedoms, which in a stable and healthy democratic state, lawyers should not be facing on a daily basis. So it has been very interesting. Uh, and I think this is a time when role, lawyers have a great role to play. But ultimately, we want to get that role to lead us to a situation in which lawyers no longer have to face these interesting issues and can get back to, if you will, daily representation of their clients in routine Uh, cases which you would expect in any normal democratic society. So what does the day-to-day -day representation of clients look like now? How does the political situation impact your work? Well, I think one of the most visible changes, um, most palpable changes is in the courts. And when dealing with prosecutors, there's an atmosphere of mistrust, of caution. In some cases, it's almost toxic. When you go to the court, as I will go later today, 
um, and you enter the building, which was once bustling, and the judges would be walking by, the lawyers, the prosecutors, there would be an atmosphere of perhaps distance, but respect and, and friendliness. That is certainly no longer the case. There's a big mistrust among the judges themselves who will avoid leaving their rooms. They're very careful who they speak to, who they're seen speaking to. Um, the judges are divided into those who have um, protested and uh, in their jurisprudence and in other behaviors, protested against the unconstitutional reforms. And those judges who have decided to take advantage of the situation and advance through this politically controlled mechanism uh, to take advantage of the violations in order to, for personal gain. And there's a big distrust between those two groups. They often don't want to appear in a judicial panel together. And so when our clients have a case in court, one of the first questions we end up asking is, who's going to be judging the case? Who have we been allotted by supposedly by ballot, is the judge a democratic judge or is the judge one of those who has decided to uh, sacrifice principles, um, sacrifice constitutional values in the uh, name of personal advancement? Another issue we face that we would not normally face in a healthy democratic state is that uh, so many of us as lawyers have had the opportunity the extreme privilege, and I would wish this privilege on no one, but we've had the privilege of defending judges and prosecutors. Um, I recently spoke with one of my colleagues from the United States, and I asked, look, if you're a good criminal lawyer, how many times in your career could you expect to represent a judge in disciplinary criminal proceedings against that judge? And the answer was, of course, perhaps never, perhaps exceptionally once. Well, we've represented, I speak on behalf of my office, uh, judges in over 19 cases. That's perhaps not because we're exceptional, but most of my good friends, my colleagues, advocates who are dealing in criminal law have at least a few judicial or prosecutorial cases regarding judges or prosecutors who have been repressed for uh, for example, um, using a Court of Justice of the European Union jurisprudence in order to assess the independence of a specific judicial panel, which um, is cause for disciplinary action, according to the, uh, to the government. That sounds as if it were really difficult to do your work, because in a larger sense, there's little reliability in the justice system right now, which is obviously a big part of the rule of law. Is there any strategy you can apply at all when working on cases under these circumstances? Well, things are shifting so quickly uh, that, that the strategy sort of depends on, on where we are with the reforms, with the pushbacks against the reforms at any uh, given moment. Uh, but I think this has been a time when lawyers play a very important role. The judges who have been supported by lawyers uh, in disciplinary proceedings and other repressive proceedings, uh, have a greater appreciation for what it means to be a lawyer, what it means to be on the side, uh, on the other side of the uh, judicial bench, if you will. Uh, and one of the key tactics of civil society now is litigation. 
um, litigating before the European Court of Human Rights, litigating before uh, the Court of Justice of the European Union by uh, helping domestic courts prepare rogatories to the uh, Court of Justice, uh, all regarding the issue of judicial independence. Um, this has brought significant rulings which are being used not only by the judges and uh, prosecutors, lawyers concerned, to combat the effects of these anti-democratic reforms, but they're being used in the public sphere by NGOs, politicians, in order to um, support efforts, well, to return to some kind of democratic stability, uh, return to rule of law, uh, which is ultimately our goal. That's very impressive. Uh, let us take a step back for a moment. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of the legal profession in Poland, in particular the bar associations? Is this concept of attorneys promoting the rule of law something that has existed in the past as well? Well, the Bar Association uh, was historically, even under communist times, formally independent um, and retained a great deal of independence because of the strength, personal strength and um, social standing of advocates who uh, had great respect uh, among members of society because they would represent members of the political opposition, members of solidarity, uh, protesting students when they were repressed um, for uh, their fight for individual dignity and uh, democratic changes. So lawyers managed to retain a large degree of autonomy even uh, under communist rule. Uh, and in the 90s, uh, the Polish bar of advocates was um, very strong and independent in all regards, disciplinary, educational, tra traineeship. But what we've seen over the years now is a an erosion of that sphere of independence. The uh, bar exam and the traineeship, while organized de facto by the bar, is formally controlled by the ministry. The ministry will appoint judges as members of the bar examination committees. And these judges often include judges who have gone through these undemocratic mechanisms of uh, professional advancement, so judges who are delegitimized. And this has been a big problem over the past years. So how do these disciplinary proceedings against lawyers look like now? The disciplinary proceedings still remain autonomous in first and second instances. So if you have a disciplinary case as a lawyer, you're going to be judged by your peers, by other advocates who have been appointed by an assembly of advocates to be disciplinary judges. But then, after that, there's cassatory control before the Supreme Court. This was subject to the disciplinary chamber, which as a result of litigation before the Court of Justice um, and the European Court of Human Rights has now been dismissed, but it's been replaced with another unconstitutional and undemocratic body, which is the, the Supreme Court Chamber of Professional Liability. Uh, now, there's a saying in Polish that tea does not get sweeter just for the mixing. Uh, you actually need some sugar. There's no sugar involved here. All we've seen is mixing. The judges who were delegitimized, who were politically appointed, were shifted from that dismissed chamber, the disciplinary chamber, and put into other chambers, including this new disciplinary chamber called the 
professional liability chamber. And that chamber does have uh, competence to, uh, to deal with disciplinary cases against judges, prosecutors, and lawyers. This is, of course, causing a massive turbulence and not always in the, not always in the direction you would expect. How's that? For example, uh, it's not just a fear that this will be used, this new chamber, to repress lawyers who uh, litigate against government interests. But there, uh, the practical problems we've encountered is that we have lawyers who the first and second instance courts, disciplinary courts, have convicted for severe disciplinary offenses, and they have removed them from the bar. Uh, and uh, these lawyers have filed cassatory appeals, which have gone to these strange and politically controlled uh, disciplinary chambers in the Supreme Court. And those disciplinary chambers might even uphold uh, the rulings of the you know, bar disciplinary courts. But the situation is such that from the perspective of the bar authorities, no court has made a decision on the cassatory ruling. So we're left in a situation where the cassatory appeal is, from our legalistic perspective, still hanging. It's suspended. And we cannot, um, we cannot uh, remove this person from the bar roster because we're still waiting for a proper Supreme Court to deal with uh, their cassatory appeal. It's a, forgive me for the complicated uh, description, but it shows how a delegitimized court system can lead to very difficult results, including, you know, the, 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 the fact that we have lawyers who should be removed because of disciplinary actions who are still acting as lawyers because we cannot accept that their, the ruling of the cassatory court was legitimate. So the bar associations face all kinds of challenges at the moment. How has their work, how has your work changed at large? In recent years? I think since 2015 and 16, we've seen the bar associations become by necessity, just as the, uh, you know, the, the associations of judges and independent prosecutors become very activist, which was both legal associate, law, law, lawyers associations, bars, um, judicial, especially judicial and prosecutorial associations would normally be very restrained in commenting on social issues, public issues, political issues. Um, but um, our communities have had to become very, very publicly active. Our voices have to be heard because the violations we are facing, um, they are a part of what we deal with as lawyers. We have an understanding that perhaps no one else has of the nature of these changes, but they affect the people whom we serve, the citizens, the, uh, uh, the people who, um, whose problems are solved by, should be solved by the uh, justice system. You've talked about a split among legal officials, that is judges and prosecutors before, where the one side is critical of the government and the reforms, while the other side takes advantage of them and identifies itself with them. Is there such a split among attorneys as well? Well, I think that um, the vast majority of lawyers um, are very critical of these reforms over the past seven years because we are educated 
we have a legal education and it's very difficult for someone with a very basic legal education to accept blatantly unconstitutional reforms. Lawyers, because of their education, are a little more impervious, a little more resistant to um, to populism, anti-democratic populism or uh, populism uh, leading to violations of the rule of law. But there is, of course, a certain part of the, uh, of the population of lawyers who either seek to take advantage of these turbulent times for professional advancement um, to gain clients close to the government or who um, genuinely support these changes. But this is certainly a minority, perhaps the most... Um, uh, the best evidence of this is when you look at who is appointed to the bar councils and uh, elected as the deans or presidents of the bar uh, um, the bar units across Poland. You will see that there are none of the none of the lawyers who are openly supporting the uh, mm-hmm. uh, the government changes, the mm, violations of the rule of law, have been appointed. So. They, these lawyers who uh, seem to support these uh, political changes over the past over the past years are certainly a minority in our community. As you would expect, for example, in the community of lawyer, in doctors, physicians, uh, if the government um, decided one day to dictate by law uh, that uh, human blood is green and every human being has two hearts and three livers you would expect the vast majority of physicians would uh, would not support these kind of uh, normative changes. And that's very much the case with lawyers. When you have violations which are blatantly against um, not only doctrine, but uh, legal sciences, um, it is a natural, uh, it is a natural uh, thing that most lawyers will uh, be vocally critical of these changes and will not support them. Could you tell us a little bit more about the activist work the bar associations have found themselves forced to do, as you said, in the past several years? I think that the activism in the bar depends a lot on um, the local engagement of bar members and specific ideas of, of bar leaders. There are some bars, some city bars, which are more active, others less. But um, there have been resolutions passed Uh, participation in protests with other legal professions, um, uh, pro bono uh, actions to support judges in need, uh, and a vocal critique of unconstitutional reforms. I think one of our most important duties is to educate, and uh, advocates of our bar uh, several times a year will go to schools, to universities, to talk about um, the Constitution, talk about Uh, European Union law to talk about the independence of the judiciary and division of powers. Regrettably, we've seen over the past two, three years that the public schools have closed their doors to us. Uh, They are subject to the Ministry of Education and the ministry is now vetting which NGOs, which civic groups are allowed to uh, enter schools and We've even been—I was even called a propagandist eh? uh, by um, by a press spokesman for the um, for the ministry some time ago. Uh, 
when asked about uh, when asked about uh, participation of lawyers in education of uh, citizens, including the youngest citizens. Well, that's a tough attack on you personally as well, and an attack no lawyer should face. You ask what we have been doing. I think one of the very important things we should mention is our contact with bar associations across Europe and throughout the world. Since 2016, we've seen immense support from the international community of lawyers. And it seems lawyers across the world uh, have a great understanding of the values which we're fighting for, because these values are common throughout democratic states, and they are the values on which our legal professions are all built, regardless of whether we're in France, Germany, the United States, the UK. We all have a common professional axiology, specifically rights and freedoms. Um, even when we're dealing in corporate and commercial issues, we are effectively protecting the rights and freedoms of our clients, whether individual or corporate. And Uh, we, as a result, have seen immense support from our friends across Europe and across the world. Um, the Deutsche Anwaltverein has been just wonderful in supporting us, uh, not only vocally but organizationally. Uh, as part of the Weimar Triangle of Lawyers, together with the Deutsche Anwaltverein and the Paris Bar, uh, we've made many common statements uh, directed towards EU authorities and the Polish authorities in support of rule of law. And these kind of voices make uh, make a difference. Um, they not only are heard by governments, but also um, lend strong moral support to the lawyers, judges, and prosecutors who do face adversity in countries such as Poland, where the rule of law is uh, is being eroded. How would you summarize the rule of law the human rights situation in Poland at the moment? It, it is very difficult to describe, to convey the uh, complexity of the violations we face because uh, it is not a situation of very graphic civil, civil rights, human rights violations as you would have in countries where there is war, where there is terror, and where the violations are very physical. And... Hence, it becomes a very hard sell when you try to convince other people, look, we're facing terrible human rights abuses. And they say, how? Has your village been burned? Have you had disappearances, torture? Well, no. Procedural safeguards are being removed. So um, it, it really does require a lot of imagination on the part of civil society to understand that the removal of these civil safeguards is an extremely grave and dangerous situation and that in, in inevitably it leads to an undemocratic state. You simply cannot have a robust democracy in which the rights and freedoms of citizens are secure, including the rights and freedoms which safeguard them against torture, imprison, arbitrary imprisonment, uh, disappearances. If you do not have um, robust procedural safeguards, independent judiciary, independent lawyers, um, and uh, other safeguards which are so typical and which we often take for granted in democratic states. And that's, what we, that's where we see an erosion in Poland over the past years. 
Now, to give an example on what it means for people's lives if procedural safeguards are being targeted in such a blatant way you just described, could you tell us about this situation on the Belarusian border, maybe? Well, I, the situation on the Belarusian border is, is horrific. It is horrific. Uh, the area near the border has been now closed for very many months by a de facto uh, emergency state. Uh, lawyers, doctors, and journalists are not admitted. NGOs are not admitted to the area near the border. Um, the people escaping from Belarus, who, uh, of course, may be instrumentally uh, used by the Belarusian authorities as an element of a hybrid war, that may very well be true. Nonetheless, these are human beings who are seeking asylum, seeking refugee status, seeking international protection, and they are facing pushbacks, clean and simple. The border guard in Poland is quite simply gathering these people up from the forest and instead of processing them as required under international law, when they claim international protection as refugees, they are simply thrown across, physically thrown across the fence back into Belarus. Many of them have gone back and forth several times because they are, of course, pushed forward to Poland by the Belarusian border guards. And uh, lawyers have been uh, trying to help these people from day one. Lawyers and, most importantly, human rights organizations such as Grupa Granica um, And it is becoming increasingly difficult access to these people to provide legal representation in proceedings regarding refugee status is almost impossible. I myself was at the border and was refused access to a client who's standing several meters away from me, who's claiming international protection. We have recordings of him yelling it. Uh, they were not let through. And... Lawyers uh, have, in fact, at times been physically stopped from moving forward by border guards. We've had interventions in that case. And the main problem is that this is not as uh, controversial a public issue as it should be. Uh, public attention because of the Ukrainian war, because of uh, COVID, because of other issues has not been focused on these terrible human rights violations. But I am very, very proud of the lawyers of my bar, the Warsaw Bar, who have been consistently um, acting to support the people seeking international protection coming across the border, they, merely in their procedural rights to have their applications processed. I and mean, that's really all we want. We want these people who come across the border and claim international protection to get the process that they deserve under international and domestic law. But it is extremely difficult um, simply because we do not have access. This is, I am quite convinced, the human rights violation which will, on a mass scale, which will end up in very many um, ECHR rulings um, stating violations by Poland uh, with the participation of the Frontex agency, of course. But um, that is a sad consolation ultimately because these people will have been uh, thrown back across the border multiple times many have died in the swamps and in the forest during the attempts to come across 
And I can only uh, say chapeau bas, hats off to the lawyers who consistently fight this uphill battle uh, to have the procedural rights of these uh, refugees recognized. That is, by and large, an extremely dire situation. How do we move on from here? What can be done to defend the defenders, to defend the rule of law? I think, regrettably, there's no easy fix. It's very tempting to say, what can we do? We'll do it. We'll fix the problem. There is no easy fix because it is a complex mm, arrangement of factors that we have to deal with. The most important problem is the political problem uh, that Poles, uh, just like Hungarians, just like members of other EU states, need to make political decisions responsibly. And I really don't have an issue of whether they vote right-wing, left-wing, social or conservative. My issue is that um, citizens need to take responsibility for, very, for the protection of very basic uh, values of every democratic state, including the rule of law, and take that into consideration when making political choices. Without that kind of political, mm, uh, political responsibility of society, um, all we can do to support repressed lawyers is, is stopgap measures. But of course, in the meantime, those stopgap measures are necessary. And um, EU level and domestic level uh, um, instruments to safeguard lawyers, human rights activists, but also judges and prosecutors against repressions are necessary. Um, and they are helpful. Uh, when, uh, when facing repressions. We've seen lawyers targeted with surveillance. We've seen lawyers targeted with disciplinary proceedings for the statements they make in court, which are critical of the government-appointed or politically-appointed judges. Um, and I think the Convention on the Protection of Professional Lawyer, uh, which is under work in the uh, Council of Europe, This is a very important uh, important instrument. Uh, I do hope it is passed and accepted soon. I'm very curious whether my state, whether Poland will, um, will accept this instrument. Uh, I certainly would expect so. But um, then again, it is an instrument which would mm, be helpful in supporting the legal community which uh, this government is so critical of. So we'll see how that, uh, how that works out. Well, thank you very much for your story, um, for your analysis and for your time, Mikulwai. I think your message is a very powerful and democratic one, that it is in the hand of citizens of society to fight for the rule of law and for those who are under illegitimate pressure by the government. But civic society also needs the support of societies and governments elsewhere to do that. I think that threat... Uh, is present throughout Europe. It is not just a problem of Poland and Hungary. And um, I think the very sad case study of Poland can be used to prevent uh, democratic backsliding across Europe. And I, I hope our sorry, sorry example serves uh, as a lesson uh, across Europe um, and to, pre to prevent further uh, anti-democratic change. Yes, absolutely. Um, so thank you very much again, Mikko White. It was a great pleasure talking to you um, and to hear about the impressive and so very vital work that you do. 
This has been the first episode of the second season of We Need to Talk About the Rule of Law and Attorneys. In particular, a joint podcast by Verfassungsblock and the German Bar Association, Deutsche Anwaltverein. We will be back in two weeks with a conversation with Mitri Lajewski, a human rights lawyer from Belarus, to talk about the situation there.